uh, so Deuteronomy. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So now Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Uh, thanks, Kathy, for uh, reading for us. If you've got a Bible nearby, um, do keep it open at that reading uh, from uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, thank you, Kathy, reading it, and Steve for praying for us. And welcome, let me add my welcome to those of us who are able to come and gather in the building. It's great, great to be here on this Lord's Day. And to those of you joining us uh, at home as well, really good uh, to have you being able to tune in. It might be that some people have got together in homes uh, to watch together, two families or two sets of friends. Great if you're doing that. I got an invite, actually, from one of our younger church family members to say I could come around and maybe watch church uh, with him today. George, thank you very much for that invite. I'm not able to make it because I'm here, but it was lovely, lovely to, to find out you were even thinking of inviting me. So if you're, if you're tuning in from home, great to have you with us as we come and look at these words of Jesus as we come towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Even during a pandemic, uh, life still puts before us a kind of dizzying array of options, doesn't it? Whether it's the, the ice cream menu around at Aromi's Cafe, just around the corner from church here, maybe you've seen that. Or, or maybe it's, it's planning a gap here uh, for when restrictions finally ease. I mean, life's a highway. It's stretching out in front of us. All there is, uh, all there is, is me, my options, and my choices. Whether it's pistachio ice cream from Aromi, or whether it's going to be uh, teaching English in Thailand, or something like that. I mean, choose your direction. Now, life's a highway. Yeah, many people, I guess, in the UK, we, we just instinctively think that way. You, you'll have heard this kind of thing before, maybe even said it uh, at times. Look, well, that's great for you. I mean, it's not for me, but the important thing is, is that it makes you happy. All there is is, is you, uh, your options, and your choices. That life's a highway stretching out in front of you. 
as a country, we, we love our choices, don't we? It's one of the things uh, that we've been missing. I suppose the only concern would be, as we, we come to think about those kind of things, would be if among all of our choosing, we actually miss some really significant choice, yeah, which is what makes Jesus' words here, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, so arresting. Let me just read them again. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for broad is the road, and wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I mean, Jesus is saying, when you, when you sit and uh, listen to him, when you think about all the choices that we have before us, Jesus is saying, there's really only one choice, because there's actually only two ways to live. And you want to maybe be a bit polite with Jesus. He's got a reputation of being kind and nice and all that kind of stuff. But you hear his words, and you have to think, they sound on the verge of crass, don't they? I mean, it's what many people suspect about Christianity. It's kind of limiting people with fear. It's morally exclusive. That's the kind of thing that goes on with it. But then the more you think about Jesus, he doesn't quite fit that mold either, does he? You read through, read through the accounts of his life that you find in the Gospels, and you'll find the, the deserving and the undeserving both seem to come to him and find friendship at times. I guess in our current day, you could expect a, a Jack Grealish and a Matt Hancock could both come to him. We want to welcome them, talk with them. So when you think about that, when perhaps the most inclusive person who has, who has ever lived, the most inclusive person who has ever lived, still says to us, there are only two ways to live. And like Moses, writing hundreds of years before him, says this choice that you're going to make is a matter of life and death. Don't you want to know why? Well, here's where he begins. In verses 13 and 14, he says there's two gates. One wide, one small. And you get the image. If you're someone who is whoever you are, and if you're kind of looking for a way into life, Jesus is saying there is a way in. I once visited, got to visit the House of Lords. I remember the day I put my suit on. Sun was shining. I got myself down to Westminster. It was very exciting. I went through a, quite an impressive door. Only a, a small portion was open, but I, I went in there. But that's when I really began to feel the restrictions. You ever had that feeling of, are kind of smiling at someone for just a little bit too long before you realize they're not smiling back at you. That was me with the police officer. And I kind of caught myself and began to speak, and I said, oh, my name's, and he interrupted and said, we're expecting you, Mr. Todd. Oh, I, they know my name already. I don't need to say it. Step forward, please. Give me your bag. Took, took my bag off me. Searched it. Stand in front of the camera. I was photographed. Raise your arms, please. I was searched. You quickly realize in those kind of situations, and I certainly realized that my entire future happiness in the short term, at the very least, depended on listening very carefully and doing exactly what this fine police officer was saying to me. Look, I got in. Did get into the House of Lords. Narrow gates are not saying keep out. But they are saying there is a certain way to come in. And you've got to come in this way. 
What's this narrow gate in verse 14? Well, this section we're beginning, it's the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. This whole bit of the Bible we've been going through, Jesus has been teaching people about God and life, and it, it's the conclusion he's coming to, and he is going to press you. The Lord Jesus, those of you who are teenagers, he's going to look at you with these words. You imagine him just looking at you. He knows your name. He's looking at you as he says this. Men, those of you men who are occupied by the football at the moment, you just can't wait for Wednesday. He's, he's saying, you look, I want you to give me your attention again. Get your eyes back over here for a moment. All of us, longing for our choices. He's going to press us, though. Jesus Christ, he's going to press you and say, are you making this choice? Are you making the choice to enter through the narrow gate? What is it? What is this gate? Well, coming as it does at the, the end of Jesus' sermon, it, it must be taking Jesus' words and he's teaching seriously his words. You get this. His words need to set your course. I mean, that's going to limit other options, isn't it? As you, as you think about all the choices that you might want to make. No, his words, he's saying that's the kind of narrow gate. And if you know the kind of things he, he says, let me remind you of some from this sermon. Back in, uh, right at the beginning, he, he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, look, the, the ones who get in are the ones who acknowledge when it comes to God, they've got nothing to offer, really. They're, they're, they're bankrupt spiritually. They, they're not coming offering God anything. Which then made sense of how he taught people to pray. He said, look, if you, you want this way into life, when you start praying, here's how you should pray. And he had this line in it, forgive us our debts, that's our sins, that's what he means, the things we do wrong. Forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who sin against us. When it comes to finding life, of getting into it, Jesus says, look, you need to know this, the way in is like this. You, you don't come offering God anything, you need something from him. You need forgiveness. Now, it might be this morning, either here in the building or, or watching from home, uh, you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you've been interested. You're thinking about it. And the question that's going around in your mind is, is perhaps something like this. Look, here's me, and I'm, I'm holding on to my life, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering, should I share it with this God that I meet in the Bible? Should I take my life, take life and, and share it with God? Will he enhance it in some way? But as you read these words, you realize that, that Jesus is saying the reality is, is almost entirely the opposite to that. Now, he's saying God is the one who holds life. He's really got it. And the real question that you and I should be asking is, is there anything that would make him want to share it with me? Would God share his life with me? So we don't really need a God who can 
enhance the life that I think I've got already. We need a God who will forgive the things we do wrong, the things we all know we do wrong, and, and would graciously give us life, life now and, and life that will last. Maybe you're already a Christian. I think those of us who are already Christians, even thinking about this, we, we find it tough at times. And maybe our thinking goes something like this. You, you, you think about, maybe you think about lovely friends, family, work colleagues, but they're not interested in God at all. No time for them. Whenever you mention them, they, they bat it away. They, they, they're not interested at all. But they're lovely, and you want to say, look, surely they'll be good enough. Surely they're good enough. I know they're not interested in God, but they're nicer than most. Surely they'll be good enough. And when Jesus says to you, look, no, they won't. They really won't be. They're not good enough, not in that way. You kind of get a bit cross. And you feel God's unreasonable for even hinting at things like that. But be careful at that point. Don't, don't misrepresent God at that point. The narrow gate is not saying they can't come in. There is a way in. But it is saying, look, they've got to come this way. This is the only way to come. And if they won't come this way, if they won't have it, it's not because Jesus is mean. Jesus says to all of us, whether you're a Christian this morning, whether you're someone who's, who's on the edge of it, just looking in, thinking about it, he says to all of us, choose life. Choose life. Because two gates, you see in these words, two gates lead to two roads, and you get the idea by the two roads. Jesus is not just the way you kind of begin the, the Christian life as if it's just the way in. He's also the way you live it. You know, with general elections, when they come around, you know, you know the way they work. You kind of, you make your, your choice. You go and cast your vote. You've done it. And then in, in many ways, it's just back to life as normal. Becoming a Christian, it's not like that. It's not just a decision and you walk away and back from life as normal. No, that, that first decision, that entering the narrow gate, if, if it wasn't a fake, if it was genuine, if it, if it really was the, the real thing, then that first decision then becomes the pattern for every other decision after that. Not that you'll be perfect. You, you get things wrong. But the change that's happened at that point if you really started out in that life, the, the change that's happened, the thing that God's done in you, and you might not notice it just straight away, but you'll begin to notice it. You'll, you'll discover now, actually, you want Jesus to be in charge. You want to do the things that he says. Jesus has given a sense of that already. Earlier when he's talking about it, he says these words that seem strange at times. He, he said this, uh, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's quite a standard, isn't it? Can I say, some people, will, some people will hate those words when they hear them. And some people will love them as they begin to understand what they're saying. They'll really love them. And let me tell you why. If you're someone who thinks of Christianity and the Christian life as basically a kind of, a list of, thing, a list of things and you've got to tick off enough of them in order to keep God happy, 
that's how you think of the Christian life. Here's all the things, the, the demands that God puts on me, and I've got to tick off enough of them in order for, for to be okay with God. That If you think that way, then you'll hate these words because they'll seem like an unreasonable demand. Be perfect. Because they don't give any room for you to finish pleasing God and then just start pleasing yourself for a while. So you tell yourself, well, I can ignore lots of the things that God says because I can never keep them anyway. But the real issue is you, you never really wanted to live for God. You, at best, you just wanted him off your back in some way. But if you've begun to understand what Christianity is like, if you're a Christian already, or even if you're someone looking from the outside in and you're beginning to get it, maybe you've picked up this word of grace, that this God, the way he treats you is not is not by saying you've got to do enough things before you can come. If you've begun to understand that, if you, if you know Christianity is about messed up, sinful people like you and me who do things wrong, if it's about us being loved and offered forgiveness through Jesus, new life in God's family as a free gift, then you'll begin to love words like this. And uh, you'll look at words like this, and you know what you'll say? You'll begin to say this, I get to be like who? When Jesus is saying to you, come and be like your father. Come and be like him, because you'll, you'll love him, you started to trust him, you'll say, that's who I want to be like. I get to be like who? One person sees in those things an unreasonable demand. The other sees an unbelievable relationship. And blokes, let me speak to you, because I feel this myself even this week. When you mess up, as you will do in all sorts of ways, you don't live the right way, you will be gutted. But not because, not really because you've not ticked the list and you've not made the standard of being okay, but because you begin to realize you can't even yet live properly for the God who's been this good to you, saved you, the God you want to live for. And it's gutting. See, for someone who's on the inside, who's gone through the narrow gate, the question they begin to ask is not, how much do I have to do? But how can I be more like? God's word at that point, and this is the kind of refreshing thing, I think, when you, when you begin to become a Christian. It's not that there aren't hard things, but God's word really, it isn't a burden to bear. Now, God's word illuminates, it illuminates the change he's drawing you to. And so his words begin to be, in this world that offers all sorts of choices about change and all sorts of things, his words really do begin to be transformative. This is who you're being drawn to be like. But that's why, verse 14, that's why it's a narrow gate and a narrow road listening to Jesus. There's actually a little bit more here. You don't spot it in our translation of the Bible because Jesus uses, the second time in verse 14, he uses that word narrow. It's it's actually a different word he uses there. And it's got the idea, it is still narrow, but it's got this time the idea of being squeezed by persecution. And Jesus is saying, look, you start out on this road and you'll find you experience pressure. You'll bump into other people who are much less happy about the way you're going and you'll feel that they'll bump into you. And you already maybe feel that. 
in some ways if you're a Christian. You know that in all sorts of ways. You pick it up. You only have to begin to acknowledge that God says marriage is between one man and one woman, and you already feel the squeezing pressure of that. Gosh, if I were to say that out and around, I really will be bumped into. The Bishop of Liverpool, Paul Bain, said in this past week in an address that he gave that uh, the church should let the world set the agenda on moral matters. Now, that would be a bit easier, wouldn't it? You would have a bit more space at that point. I, I need to go back and read it again. I, I hope I'm slightly misreading, but as you hear those words from the bishop, it, it does sound almost like it's saying, look, avoid the narrow way. And yet, Jesus Christ says, no, choose life. Choose life. It, because two roads lead to two destinations. At 2,448 miles long, it's the famous Route 66 in America. It's, it's America's classic road journey. I have a, I have a kind of dream, a, a dream that one day doing a big American road trip, I don't think I'll ever get to do, but that, that's the dream. And it's not about where you're going, is it? It's, it's the journey. It's not the destination. It's the journey. And that's kind of a, a motto for many people's lives. They live that way. It's all about bucket lists, isn't it? Things to do before you die. Cram in as much as you can now because it's not really going anywhere. You've just got to fill up life now with all sorts of things. You can imagine people around for dinner. You start talking about your bucket lists and journeys, gap year fun, touring South America, learning to paddle board or, or make sourdough bread, all those kind of things. And Jesus is there at the table and he says, they sound great, but, but where are you heading? And you kind of look at him, the conversation stops, and you say, well, what do you mean, Jesus? And he said, well, there are destinations. You do know that, don't you? One's life. The other, verse 13, it's destruction. And he uses a, a really strong word for it. It's like an eternal plunge into hell and a hopeless destiny of death. It's, it's not very comfortable words. You say that over dinner, things get awkward. Perhaps you feel the same. Are we really to believe in such an outmoded concept as that? Well, Jesus does. He says we live in a moral universe. There's right and wrong. Actually, I think we all do. I've not heard many people say that what Matt Hancock did doesn't matter. And every time we we call something like that wrong, we're admitting to ourselves that there, there must be a kind of moral center of gravity in this universe. We, we don't think that everyone can just choose their own equally valid journey in every direction. I think increasingly people are feeling that more and more and talking about it. There are rights and wrongs. The, the question for all of us is, who gets to decide? Lots of claims for that. And so here this, you understand the the kind of outrageous claim that Jesus Christ makes. You understand what he's saying? This, uh, this carpenter preacher who lived all those years ago, he says he's the one that gets to set where different destinations will end up. He's the one in charge well, the past year, we've heard repeated calls for justice. 
Jesus says one day he'll bring it. He'll be the one that brings that kind of justice. Not just for those who are in the current spotlights, whatever they are, but everyone who's ever lived in his world, taking his gifts without acknowledging him. The end of the journey, he says, you won't like the destination unless you found his narrow way, unless you found his forgiveness. I'm 50 years old. I still sometimes think, I wonder where my life's heading. <laughs> I wonder where it's going to go to. And Jesus would say, look, David, I'll tell you, every day, every day you're one day closer to real life or one day closer to destruction. It's true for everyone. And then he says to us, not because he's uncaring, because he loves people. He says, so choose life. Choose life. Two gates, two roads, two destinations, and finally, look, two crowds. That's what's talked about here. You meet people who, who say things like, look, I don't want to make choices about those kind of things. I'll just be ambivalent. But that's not an option. There, there's, only, there's only two crowds. To not be in one puts you in the other. Jesus wants us to make the choice. He presses us towards it. He, he also wants us to know what it will feel like. And he says it will often feel like a minority position. It, we all claim, loads of us claim, to, to want to stand out from the crowd in some way, but most of the time, most of us just want to fit in. Yet Jesus says, look, following him, you will stand out a bit, but remember the truth, it is not a majority decision. The truth that leads to life, you, you find it from him. You've got to trust him. Uh, I imagine if, if you're a Christian, at some point this week, you'll probably feel yourself in the minority amongst a much larger crowd. It, it might be in the office where you work. It might be among your schoolmates. And just the, the talk that goes on, you, you realize if, if church or Christian things were mentioned you just want to keep your voice down at that point. It might be with wider family. Now, you'll feel the pressure. But Jesus says, look, it won't always feel like that. There's only one verdict that will count at the end of the journey. And if you follow him, receiving his forgiveness, living, trusting him, one day you'll find yourself standing not in a minority, but as the Apostle John writes in the very last book of the Bible, among a great multitude that no one could count, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Jesus Christ says to you and me, there are two gates, two roads, two destinations, two crowds. Choose life. So follow him. It's a good reminder for those of us who are Christians already. And if you're not looking in, as you hear Jesus' words, maybe today is the day you want to say, yes, I want to choose that narrow way. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me and help me to live trusting you? Whether you're in the building or at home, we're just going to pause for a moment to pray ourselves. That's all you need to say to him if you want to do that. Let's have a moment of quiet. We can pray ourselves, and then Steve will come and lead us on.